Well, every once in a while as I'm teaching through a, a book in, in the Bible, I'll get to one of those passages that I get intimidated by. And I get intimidated not because it's confusing, not because it's a hard passage to understand, but I almost get intimidated because it's so clear and so powerful in and of itself, I almost wonder if I'm going to mess it up by turning it into a sermon. And I, and I feel like it would be even more powerful this morning if we just looked at this passage and we just read it like 50 times. I mean, and to me, and just let the Word of God speak for itself, I mean, I would rather you just take this, this passage and, and go off into to the park and just, and just read it for yourself and ask yourself, what does it mean? I mean, I, I seriously think that would be more effective but I'm going to preach anyways. But uh, it, it's, it's just one of those passages, though. I, I really want us to just read it together right now. And um, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation 3. Or, uh, or you can uh, look inside your bulletins. I have it there printed out for you. Um, we'll be reading out the New International Version. But this is one of those passages that I have heard since I first became a believer that is just so powerful, so striking, so vivid, so graphic. Um, don't, don't miss it. Revelation 3, verse 14. He says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's a pretty powerful passage, and there's probably different verses in there that you've read before, if you've heard before. But he starts off and he just says, look, this is to the angel in the church of Laodicea. This is the last of the seven letters to the seven different churches. And, and, you know, when they say we save the best for last, I kind of feel that way with this passage. It is just so powerful. And this church, you know, Jesus addresses them. He says, this is from, these are the words of the amen. You guys know what amen means? It just means so be it. Jesus says, I am the amen. I am the so be it. He says, uh, the amen, the, the faithful, the true witness. That means everything that comes out of his word, uh, comes out of his mouth is absolutely true. And he calls himself the ruler of God's creation. Jesus says, listen to who is saying these words. The ruler of God's creation, the first, the preeminent one of all creation. And verses 15 and 16, I want you to interpret this, okay? I just want to read it, and I want, let's, let's imagine you had to come up afterwards and explain what 15 and 16 mean. Okay, what would you say? 15 and 16 says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. 
So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Hey, what does that mean to you when you read that? That God wants us to either be hot or cold. But if we're lukewarm, he'll spit us out of his mouth. What does that mean to you? Because I've had people say to me over the last few weeks, they go, you know what? I've had all sorts of criticism over my messages. Yeah, I get, I get them every week, but, but it's, it's like this, you know, you're so in our face. It's so intense. You know, I disagree with what you said. And I go, well, let's turn to the passage. What does the passage say? You tell me what it says then. You know, if you think I'm preaching it too harsh. I mean, you take a passage like this. I mean, you tell me what it says. If God says, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm ready to spit you out of my mouth. What do I do with a passage like that? I go, well, you know, that's, that's not all that bad. Yeah, it's a little spit. You know, we all like to spit. Yeah, I mean, what do you do with a passage? I mean, it's intense. When God is saying, man, I wish we were either hot or cold. I mean, to me, I read that and I go, wow, God doesn't want me to be casual about this relationship with him. God doesn't want me to be casual about him. He says, in fact, when I am casual about my relationship with God, it makes him sick. In fact, the, the, the new King James says, I'm ready to vomit you out of my mouth. Because I'm just so sick of you. It's like you, you get in here and you've got this lukewarm, casual attitude toward me. He goes, it makes me sick. I want to spit you out of my mouth. I want to vomit you out of me. That's pretty intense. Hot or cold. And yet when I read this, I think, man, this describes 80% of churchgoers here in America, at least. Doesn't it? People who come to church and go, well, yeah, I believe in him. I'll show up here and there, but I'm not going to go fanatical about it. I don't want to be like one of those fanatics who's just so into God. I mean, I'll go to church, but I'm not going to come every single week and then serve, you know, and teach an extra hour outside of that. I mean, two hours out of my week for God, that is crazy. I mean, he only gives me like 168 hours a week. I'm not going to give him two of those back. That is for the fanatics. But I'll show up to church once every couple weeks or so. 10% of my money? You're telling me God only gives me like 60 grand. I'm not going to give him, you know, 6,000 of that back. It's <laughs> pretty bad for an Asian. Um, six, uh, I'm not going to give him, you know, a whole 10% of my income. It's like, you know, I'll throw five bucks in the plate. God will be happy with that. But man, it's that attitude that we have. It's like, I'm not going to go crazy with this thing. I'm going to give all 10%. Are you kidding me? It's only God. Man, I'm not going to actually tell people about Jesus. I'm not going around telling them what I believe. Man, that's for the fanatics. That is so insane. Man, I'll, I'll have a personal relationship with God, but I'm not going to get baptized. I'm not going to stand in front of people and tell them that I believe in Jesus. That is crazy. That is for those radical Christians. I'll just attend church here and there and just kind of keep my relationship between God and me. And I pray here and there. And God says, that makes me sick. He says, get on one side or the other. Be hot or cold. Isn't that intense that God would rather us be cold than lukewarm? That's so foreign to us that God would rather us be one of those people who can't stand him and who radically oppose him rather than being just kind of lukewarm about him. 
That's foreign to us because I don't know about you, but I'd rather have people lukewarm about me. I'm not really fond of people saying, I hate his guts. You know, I'll take lukewarm, you know. And yet God says, no, that's insulting to me. You understand? You've got to understand something in Scripture. And this comes from the Bible. It's not me. God has never been pleased with mediocre, casual worship. Remember when we studied through the book of Malachi? Remember that a couple years ago? I mean, those weren't my words. That was the prophet Malachi. That's the Bible. And God, he has these priests who are coming, and they're bringing sacrifices to God. They're coming to the temple. They're offering sacrifice. But God says, I want the best of your flock. Instead of bringing their best, what these priests did is they would look at their sheep and they'd find some unblemished animals, but they wouldn't bring those. They'd find some three-legged, one-eyed sheep, you know, and, and you know, and, you know, it's coming on the altar. And they bring it to God and they sacrifice it. And you'd think God in heaven go, oh, cool, at least they brought something. Yet what does God say to them in Malachi chapter 1? He says, you know what? Is it not evil? Because when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? When you bring the lame to sacrifice, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? And then he says in verse 10 of chapter 1, he says, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar, because I am not pleased with you, nor will I accept an offering from you. He says to them, he goes, I wish someone would go to that temple and then just shut the doors to it. Because you guys are coming, you're bringing these worthless offerings to me, your leftovers, and he goes, I'd rather you not worship me at all. And later on he says, because I'm a great God. I don't deserve, I mean, do you understand how it's insulting? Do you understand how it can be insulting to a God who gives us his son and watches his son tortured on a cross for us and he gives that to us? All of that sacrifice to us, and we just kind of look up and God, and go, oh, okay, oh, thanks. Yeah, I'll accept him as my Savior. Thanks. You understand how that's more insulting than just to flat out not accept him and reject him altogether? You see, there's more hope. There's more hope for the person who flat out rejects Christianity and rejects Jesus Christ altogether. There's more hope for that person than for the person who sits in church every week and goes, yeah, you know, I'll take it. I mean, you think of people who have been radically against Christianity. I think of guys like Josh McDowell, who was challenged by some university students, you know, because he didn't believe in Jesus Christ. And they said, well, why don't you show us why? And he set out to write a book. He said, you know, I'm going to write a book just to mock Christianity, to, to show that there is no, no evidence behind it whatsoever. Well, in the process of persecuting Christianity, he studied all the evidence and he became a Christian. Ended up writing a best-selling book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. One of the best Christians, you know, best-selling Christian apologetic books around. Guys like Lee Strobel, Lee Strobel, who was a journalist for the Chicago Tribune, who again was challenged to mock Christianity and thought, you know what, I need to write a book. I need to write a book, use my journalistic you know, expertise, and just write a book to mock Christianity and show that it is false once and for all. But as he began to study, as he began to write, he became a Christian. And then writing a book called The Case for Christ. We may have read it. Incredible book, proving the existence of of Jesus Christ and that he really is the Son of God. 
Think of guys like Frank Morrison. Frank Morrison, who was an attorney. He grew up in a Christian home, though, where he saw a bunch of hypocrisy and this and that. And he just thought, you know what? Now that I'm an attorney, I want to write a book that shows that there is no evidence to the resurrection. This whole thing is a farce. As he began to write, he began to study, and he became a Christian and wrote a best-selling book called Who Moved the Stone? Talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and proving the exact opposite. I think of Saul in the New Testament. Remember Saul? Saul was the guy who was going around murdering Christians. He hated Jesus Christ so much. He was going around killing Christians. That was his job, his objective, to see how many Christians he could imprison or kill. But as he began to do it, Jesus Christ spoke to him and changed him. And he ended up writing 13 out of the 27 New Testament books. The Apostle Paul. You see, there's more hope for guys like that that are anti-Christian, against Jesus Christ, just flat out freezing cold against God than for the lukewarm who sit here and go, eh, you know, and I'll accept him. Jesus says, that's what makes me sick. Is people can kind of casually say, yeah, I'll believe him, I'll accept him, but I'm not going to go overboard on this thing. He says, I, I want to spit you out of my mouth. Pretty intense words. Let me, let me explain to you a little bit about that city, too, in Laodicea. Laodicea is interesting because geographically there are two cities that are, that are neighbors of it. One of them is Hierapolis, a city called Hierapolis. Hierapolis was known because it had these hot mineral springs of water. Like you ever been up to Arrowhead Springs? You see that bubbling mineral type water coming from the earth. People would go to Hierapolis because of the medicinal value of that water. Well, there's Hierapolis, and then down here, there's another city called Colossae. That's where you get the letters of the Colossians. Colossae was known because they had this cold running spring, these cold waters where it was so refreshing to take a drink from these rivers. And people would go there just for its refreshing water. Then you had Laodicea that was kind of in the middle, and their water came from Hierapolis, but by the time it got there, it was lukewarm. And no one ever went to Laodicea for its water because its water was sick. Its water was lukewarm and would actually make you sick if you drank it. And so when they heard this illustration of, I wish you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm ready to spit you out of my mouth, they understood lukewarm. They knew what that meant. And it was a pretty graphic illustration that God gives. To those of us who say, you know what, I'll just kind of half-heartedly, conveniently, casually enter into this Christianity thing. Let me illustrate it for you. Bell. Guys, take notes. It's my wife. Um, she's got an illustration for me. Okay, now on her tray, she's got uh, three different types of coffee. We've got iced coffee. You guys like iced coffee? Are you jealous? Good. <laughs> and uh, she does this every morning. Um, then uh, I've got hot coffee, just steaming hot coffee. It's so hot, you gotta just got to cool it off in your mouth there. And then i got some lukewarm coffee. You can go away. Um, <laughs> I love it when she plays dress up. Um, we, uh, I've got lukewarm coffee here. 
All right, this coffee's been sitting, I, I think, since last night. I mean, it's just, it's just that lukewarm coffee. And you ever, you know, you go to a restaurant, your coffee's hot, and then, you know, after you've been talking for like an hour, it's just this cold coffee. It's this lukewarm coffee. And you get it, you take a sip, and you go, You just, oh, man. It's just sit. We're going to a new sanctuary. I can do anything here. But uh, you get that lukewarm, that, that disgusting feeling in your mouth. You ever do that where it's like, gosh, I don't want to swallow this stuff. It's just so gross. And you're like, what do I do? It's got to spit it somewhere. You guys, what a graphic, disgusting picture of that is what God says he wants to do with those of us who are just kind of lukewarm about him casual about him he goes that makes me so sick i want to just spit you out of my mouth i'd rather you be one or the other i mean if you had to put yourself on a scale of hot cold or lukewarm where would you be where would you be i mean do you you feel okay because you go well i'm not as bad as some people what does God say in that passage? You know, if you're lukewarm, he goes, it makes me sick. I want to spit you out of my mouth. Because those are God's words. Now, why were these people so casual about God? I think the next verse explains it. In verse 17, he says, you say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. What was the problem with these people? They were arrogant. They, they looked at themselves and said, we're pretty good people. Let me give you another, um, a little bit more background on this city. Laodicea was known for its wealth, a very wealthy city. In fact, so wealthy that in 62 AD, there was a major earthquake that just devastated the city. And what they did, they were so wealthy, the citizens of that city rebuilt the city with their own wealth and they didn't take any help from the state. Okay, that was unheard of. You, know, you take whatever age you can, but these guys said, no, we don't want any help. We'll just redo it with our own money. So this is a city that was pretty self-sufficient, pretty proud of themselves for their accomplishments. And so they stood around. They said, you know what? We're pretty good. We don't really need anything. You know people like that? that say, I don't need a crutch to get through life. I'm doing just fine on my own. I've accomplished a lot. Look at who I am. Look at the people that work for me. Look at the money I have. I don't need your Jesus. And some believers even who say, well, I don't, you know, I'll take him. I'll accept him. I'll add another thing to my life. So many Christians take God with that attitude, going, you know what? I'm a pretty good person, but I'll take Jesus too, just in case. You guys, that's a scary place to be in life. If you feel like you are a good person and you don't need Jesus, that is probably the most dangerous place to be. And yet, how many people say that? I'm a pretty good person. I should get in on my own. And God says to this church, he goes, that has been your problem. He says, you do not see, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, naked, and blind. Because that's your problem. Because you don't see yourself as having this desperate need for a Savior. Because you're so full of yourself, thinking you're such a good person, that you don't realize, man, you desperately need me. Because you are so wretched. 
Man, do you see that in yourself? Have you ever come to the point in your life where you finally just said, God, I am not a good person. I'm a wretched person. Man, I'm a pitiful person. I deserve hell. Man, I, I, I am a poor person. I have nothing to offer. I'm blind. I can't see what's right from what's wrong. I'm naked. I'm not clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Have you ever gotten to that point where you finally just said, you know what, I'm nothing. I'm a beggar. I'm a sinner. Because until you get there, you can't be saved. Until you can finally admit to yourself that, look, you can't do it on your own. You're not a good person. And you desperately need Jesus Christ. And you passionately pursue him until you get to that point. There's no hope for you. If you're just lukewarm and you just kind of go, "Eh, I'm pretty good, but I'll I'll take Jesus too. See, Jesus says in, in verse 18, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Isn't it interesting that God says to these people who are so rich, he goes, you need to come to me and you need real gold, gold refined in the fire, talking about their, 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 their faith, talking about a rich, pure faith. We see in James 1 that, that it talks about God's refining process to purify our faith. He says, that's what you really need. You need gold from me. He goes, what you need from me is, is, is you need to become rich. Is you need clothes to wear. Interesting, because Laodicea was known for its woolen garments. People would go to that place, not for their water, but for their clothes. And God says, you need real clothes. In fact, the Bible, uh, that was a picture of judgment, was the person who was found without clothing, without the, the, the righteous clothing of Jesus Christ, being clothed with righteousness. He says, you need to come to me for that. See, but these people were too proud to beg for that. They thought, "Eh, okay, I'll I'll take one of your garments. Yeah, sure, I'll take some added righteousness, not realizing their desperate need for a Savior. And then verse 19 is great because he says, uh, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Hey, Jesus just said some pretty harsh words to them. He says, look, I'm ready to spit you out of my mouth. And then he says this in verse 19. He says, now those I love, I rebuke and discipline. He's explaining, you know why I just said those harsh words to you? Do you know why I just said I'm about ready to spit you out of my mouth? He goes, it's because I love you and I'm trying to rebuke you so that you'll change. So you'll, as that verse says, you'll be earnest and repent. He goes, it's only because I love you that I tell you these things. You got to understand, that is the point of this church. There's some pretty confrontational things that we say here, but it's only out of love. It's like, gosh, I'm not going to pretend that God's pleased with you if he's not. And Jesus here is saying, look, I love you. That's why I rebuke you. That's why we rebuke our kids, isn't it? Rebuke means a verbal reprimand. We reprimand them because we love them. We say something to them. Look, you've got to change this. But what he says there is the same thing we do with our kids. When they don't take the verbal reprimand, we got to take a step further, huh? And out comes Mr. Discipline, you know, where it's like, okay, I got to do something now. I got to punish you, actually. And that's what Jesus says here. He says, look, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. You know how sometimes God's word is enough for us? We hear God's word and we go, ooh, I better change that. I don't want to get spit out of his mouth. Other times, God... 
uses circumstances in our lives. Has he ever done that with you? I feel like he's done that so many times with me. I'm so grateful too. Where it's like he had to have something happen before I finally learned my lesson. And Jesus says, that's because I love you. And, and because I love you, I'm willing to rebuke you and I'm willing to dis- discipline you. Why? So that you will be earnest and repent. And then verse 20 is one of those classic verses that, that you've probably heard many times. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. A great verse. Jesus, after saying, look, I'm telling you these things because I love you. And he says, I'm at the door knocking. Okay, I love this. Jesus, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. You know what I love about that? It shows me that God is pursuing me. It's not me running to God. Come on, God, please let me in. It's Jesus knocking on the door. And he's saying, look, here I am. I'm standing at the door knocking. And he says, if anyone hears my voice. See, he's knocking on the door and saying, hey, it's Jesus. Let me in. That's God pursuing me. And he says, if you hear my voice and you open the door, he goes, man, I'll come in and eat with you. Now, for some of you, you've been sitting in church for a while now. And God's been knocking on the door saying, man, get into a real relationship with me. And he's been knocking on the door and you've just kind of said, well, I'm not ready yet. Do you realize how strong of a statement you make to God when you say that? Do you realize how strong those words are? When you say to God, I'm not ready yet. You are sending a huge message to God. You may sit there and think, well, I'm not sending any message. I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying yes or no. Let me illustrate this. If I'm coming over to your house this afternoon, I come over to your house, Super Bowl time, and I want to sit in, you know, in your party. And so I come to your door and I start knocking. Hey, it's Francis, your pastor. I want to, you know, I want to eat with you guys. I want to watch a game with you guys. And I'm knocking, knocking, knocking. Like, what's going on? They're not answering the door. And not only that, I see you look through the curtains. You know, ah, it's Francis that's knocking. You know, and I'm watching. I go, okay, he's probably coming. He knows it's me. Hey, and you sit there and you think, well, I'm not saying no. I'm just not saying yes yet. What kind of message does that send to me when I'm knocking at the door and you're just kind of sitting there not making any decision at all? That's a pretty strong message to me. In the same way, some of you have been doing the same thing to God who has been begging for this relationship with you and you just keep going, I don't know if I'm ready yet. Christ is knocking at the door and you're looking through the curtains going, I know you're there. I'm just not going to let you in yet. You understand how strong of a message you are sending to God by saying not yet. When he says, if you'll open the door, I'll come in and eat with you. This is God. God saying, man, I'll fellowship with you. Not only that, in verse 21, he says, To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He goes, listen to what I'm saying. He goes, if you open the door to me, I'll come in and eat with you. 
I'll have fellowship with you. I'll have a relationship with you. Not only that, but I'll let you sit on my throne. This may blow your mind, but the truth is, is you know what? God is not, uh, God is not thrilled when we look at him and go, all right, you can eat with me. All right, I'll sit on your throne with you. That may surprise you, but God isn't thrilled with that. You know what God expects? And this may sound crazy to you. God expects me to be so amazed. He wants me to think, wait a second, me? God's pursuing me? This wretched, pitiful sinner? Man, he knows everything that I have done to him, and now he's pursuing me? And he's saying, if I open the door, that he'll come into me and have a relationship with me? He's saying that one day I'll sit on the very throne of God with him? Yes! Come in! Well, what do I have to do? Where do I sign? Man, that's what God wants of me, either hot or cold, but not this casual attitude of, all right, I'll, I'll take you. No, he wants us to be people who are so fired up, who are just amazed by the grace of God. Is that you this morning? Man, are you just blown away that God would want relationship with you? And does that fire you up? Or have you just been sitting in church for year after year and the coffee is just getting colder and colder like your heart? It's gone, yeah, I used to be excited about that stuff, but now it's just God. Yeah, I know, I'll sit on his throne. Yeah, sure, he talks to me. Guys, we're talking about God. And for some of you who have not let him into your life, I'm asking you, do it today. God's been knocking on the door for I don't know how long. He has rebuked you. He has disciplined you. When are you finally going to let him in with some excitement? Some of you, maybe you've been sitting in church and you say, well, I've always believed, but I've been this lukewarm person. I've never even been baptized. I'm ready now, though. I'll stand up. You know, I was tempted to just bring a hot tub, you know, like one of those portable ones. Just say, you know, walk up here and get in your clothes and just get in. I I, I was in Oregon when they did that at a church. I was like, man, it's awesome. People walk in with all their clothes. Why? Because they saw something that was so exciting. They were hot. They're on fire. They thought, man, I can have a relationship with God. I'll jump in. I'll get my clothes wet. I don't care. Maybe that's you. Guys, what we're going to do right now is, is we're going to take an offering and, the, and, and Rachel's going to sing a song. But during this time, this is what I want. Listen to this, you guys. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never just said, God, come on in with excitement. If you've never been baptized, what I'm going to ask you to do as she sings, I'm not going to ask you to just kind of slip up your fingers and say, Ooh, I, I'd like Jesus. I'm going to ask you to just walk up to the front where I am in front of everyone and just say, you know what? This is something that's so awesome, I've got to have it in my life. I've been ashamed, I've been lukewarm, I'm ready to get baptized and tell everyone what I believe. Because God wants a relationship with me. In every service we've had people come forward, one, one, one service a gal came up, she just goes, I want Jesus, but I feel really stupid up here. <laughs> and I said, you know what, that is awesome. You're willing to make a fool of yourself in front of all these people. Because you're telling God, you know what, I'll walk in front of 10,000 people. Because I love you so much. That is the commitment that God wants from us. And if you want to do that this morning, I'll be sitting up here on the steps. Walk on forward at any time and say, you know what? That's what I need to do. Let's pray.
Father, I pray that this church would never be lukewarm. And if we are, God, then just that you would fire us up and help us to realize, Lord, it is, it is a sin to be casual about you because you are the almighty God. I pray that we would not just be these little flickering sparks that go around the world, but that we would be raging fires, that people would just look at us and see that there is something going on in our lives and we can't even contain it because we're so excited, so passionately in love with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, is that your prayer? Do you want God to be glorified in you? Because if so, he wants you to be blazing hot for him, on fire. We've all seen people whose whose life just kind of cooled off and their Christianity started off so hot and then over the years they just got colder and colder and colder. I've seen so many people who just sit in church year after year and each year it just seems like they get deader and deader and deader. And I was like, God, don't ever let that happen to me. I don't want to be like that cup of coffee that just grows colder and colder and colder. I want to be like a crock pot, you know, <laughs> that's just like, man, I want to be more on fire. Man, it's been, I've been going on 20 years now as a Christian, and I just feel like, man, I've got more passion than ever before. I love God more than ever before. I just feel like I'm more committed to him than ever before. And that's what God wants of us, not to ever cool off in our faith. So as we go out, my prayer is that we'd be the types of people where people could see it in our lives, where we have this fire, this passion in us that we can't even contain because we love God that much. That's what God expects of his followers. I mean, he deserves it. Gosh, we've got a relationship with God. We're going to sit on the throne of God. If that doesn't excite you, man, I don't know what will. And so as we leave here, let's not leave here as lukewarm people. Choose a side and go with it. And we'll see you next week.